Amen. Awesome. Yeah, that's a big buildup. It's like, this is going to be awesome. And I'm like, oh, man, he's just like setting me up, right? It's great to be here. Turn to somebody uh, near you and say, the, the best looking people go to Life Church. Come on, just turn to somebody, just turn to look at him and say, the best looking people go to Life Church. I love this. Uh, man, I love your energy, Pastor Lane. You guys just moved here, right? So it's fantastic. Tizzy, you did a great job. And for those who don't know, it was your wife, who's also an artist, like up here singing and stuff. And I wish I had hair. Come on, somebody, help me out here, right? I wish I had hair. Come on, anybody feel the same way? And uh, so, Pastor Lane, and uh, you're also like a uh, like you're an outdoorsman, like you do biking and like outdoor stuff and running. What do you like better, running or biking? Biking. biking. See, runners, have you ever seen a runner smiling? No, but do you see bikers smiling? Yes. That's why I ride a bike. Hey, let's all stand up. And uh, Jesus didn't come to write a best-selling book. He came to win a war. And that war is for our hearts, for us. And we're part of that today. So I'm excited to be at the Life Church. What a great name. What a great heritage this place has. And uh, what a great future. In this room, amen. I'm excited about what the Lord's doing here. And uh, then with the missionaries, they're just coming back from Ecuador. They were south of Guayaquil, I think, right? About an hour south of Guayaquil towards the Peru border. And uh, I know that area, I've been there, and uh, I know they did a great work with uh, John Smithwick, who's a partner of this church. And I head up a ministry called uh, the Christian Men's Network, the Global Fatherhood Initiative. When you change the heart of a man, you touch the soul of a nation. And when the men get straightened out, everything gets straightened out. All the ladies go, amen, right? And some of the guys say amen too, right, because you know a guy, right? Everybody knows a guy. So it's great to be here this morning, great to be here in church. And I want to pray over this. I'm believing the, this word. I've got a, a story. It's an awesome story. You know why I know it's an awesome story? Because it's in the Bible. And when preachers preach from the Bible, Pastor Lane, things are better, Right? Can I get an amen, Pastor Abraham? And so uh, I want to pray over this, pray together, enjoy this time together, break open the Word of God. And, uh, and here's the theme, here's the theme this morning for us, is that when you think nothing's happening, something's happening. God's always at work. God has a strategy for your life. God has a purpose. Listen, let me tell you something. God's never regretted placing you on the face of the earth. Never had one moment where he went, hey, Michael, come here. What? What happened while I was out? You know, how'd that guy get here? He's never regretted placing you on the face of the earth, not for one moment. He has a purpose for your life, a plan for mankind. You didn't mess up the plan. You didn't mess up the purpose because God is a God of redemption. And I love that. Somebody saying amen. The more you talk, the shorter I speak, Okay. All of a sudden, a bunch of people are like, amen. And uh, so let's pray over this thing. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you that when we think nothing's happening, something's happening. Because you are always God. And you're always active. And you love us with a passion. And I thank you for this day, this place, this moment, right now. The anointing and power of your Holy Spirit is in this room. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, go find somebody right now. Just touch them on the shoulder or whatever, or whatever is politically correct right now. 
and just say, hey, it's good to have you here today. Just turn around, a wave, a knuckle bump. Uh, I don't know. Those things change day by day. Have a seat. Those things change day by day, right? And so it's hard to stay up with it. Is this, is this my water? Nobody uses. Does this look like a manly water? Like, look at, look at Pastor Lane. Come on, hold up yours. That's a manly water. And you give me this. Okay, I'm okay. I'm, I'm secure. Hey, turn to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to just have a good time and go through the Word of God. But there's a story. It's one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. It's a story of a man whose life was messed up, and then Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up, everything changes, right? When Jesus showed up in my life, when Jesus showed up in your life, everything changed, right? Just say it, everything changed. When you think nothing's happening, something's happening. Why? Because Romans chapter 5 says, when we were just kind of going through life, he was actually continually loving us and after us so that we would live the best life he designed for us. How many of us want to live the best life? The best life for us, not your best life. I don't want to have to learn 37 different dialects in India. So God bless you, Pastor Abraham, for what you do. But I'm learning English still. So I'm just going to get an amen. Still working on that. So the thing is, when we talk about the best life, we have to remember that the best life is to become what God designed us to be. Not what he designed Pastor Lane to be or Becca or, what's your name, bro? Dusty, not to be what Dusty is, right? Dusty's got his uniqueness that God placed within him for him to become that design. And that's the beauty of following Jesus Christ because when we become followers of Christ, we begin to find that. Amen, Paul. All right, good. And I'm going to go longer. You guys got to be careful. And uh, Pastor Walt and Joanne Landers are great friends and Pastor Joanne is just arriving, and this church actually started, your dad uh, had a, an experience with God as a young man. He was slightly messed up. If he ever tells the story, he'll tell you he was totally messed up. And as a young man, just cried out to God, and Jesus Christ came to him. He accepted Christ and uh, totally changed his life. He was in construction, and just one of those guys that always helped people. You know, he's, a, he's the type of man he is, he's a friend who just shows up when you need help, right? Pastor Walt Landers is one of those friends that when he walks in the room, the room gets brighter. Now, there are some people that when they leave the room, the room gets brighter. <laughs> Anybody know that guy? And so, and so uh, Pastor Walt, and so then he gets into ministry, and it's like, like, and then the charter schools and what's happening here. Realize in this building, the lives of hundreds of young people are being radically changed just by people showing up and loving them and giving them a purpose and going, hey, here's what you were designed for. I get fired up about this stuff. Is that all right? And then uh, Scott White and our great friends uh, who are all involved with uh, Leadership Academy, and it's fantastic, and it's expanding, and I mean, just stuff's happening. How many of you want to be in a place where stuff's happening? Well, that's, this is the place. This is the place to bring somebody to. And uh, how many of you know somebody that, that needs to be here to be a part, to feel that sense of stuff's happening, right? How many of you know somebody? Well, here's how you bring somebody next week. 
There's a difference between inviting somebody and bringing somebody. Inviting someone, help me out, Dusty. Inviting somebody is kind of like this. Hey, man, you want to go to church next week? No, I didn't think so. Okay. That's inviting somebody. Bringing somebody is, dude, next week, you know, 1030, I'm showing up in front of your house, honk the horn, you come out, and, uh, and we're going to go to live church, and then I'm going to buy lunch. Dusty's in. See? See how that works? That's how you bring somebody. And when you bring somebody, what happens is they begin to find something out about their lives they never knew before is that they were placed on earth with a purpose. I love the little story. I've got grandchildren. Hey, do we have a photo of me? Do we have that photo? Did we find that? Like a family photo thing? I know the guy who, like your son, like somebody normally runs it, but they're like missions. They're on a plane. So we're going to, oh, hey, there they are. Okay, there's, there's my grandchildren. Couple years ago, is that awesome? And my wife's actually speaking at a church in South Fort Worth today. Isn't that cool? But they're great, man. They're, I just love them. And uh, see that little Dylan down in the like right here, like with the sweater. And sh- she's like reminds me of this little girl that came to her uh, mom and said, "Mom, where do we come from?" And the mom's like, "Huh, okay. Uh, well, she's pretty young. Uh, there were there's a beautiful garden." And there were flowers, and there were rainbows, and there were like angels, and then birds came in, and, was, and God created us. This little girl's like, wow. And you know the way children are. You've got children. Yours are grown, but you've got kids. And, and uh, you know what happens then? It's a couple days later, she comes up to Dad. Hey, Dad, where do we come from? So Dad's like, whoa. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, there was some mud. And there's protoplasm in the mud. Protoplasm grew some legs and crawled out and went to school. She's like, okay. So she goes back to her mom uh, a couple days later and says, Mom, I'm kind of confused. You said it was beautiful and there were, you know, flowers and it was this beautiful garden and all this. And, and then I went to Dad and he said it was like mud and proto something and it grew legs and went to school. That's... I don't, I don't understand. And her mom looked at the little girl and said, "Hun, don't worry. Your father was just talking about his side of the family. <laughs> I love that picture. Turn to, uh, hey, I want to show a scripture. Do we have that Hebrews 13.5? Uh, part 2. And Hebrews 13.5 in the Amplified, what's called now the, the classic Amplified. This is my wife's favorite scripture. And I want to say it out loud and together. This is a promise from God. The reason it says there, I will not, I will not, I will not, three times is because in the original language, that was a, a covenant word. It only appears two times in the first covenant. And it was a legally binding contract. When you would meet with somebody in front of some uh, witnesses, and you did a real estate deal, or you bought a car from somebody. Well, I guess they didn't buy cars back then. Whatever the deal was, you would, you would do a, your contract would be in, an oral contract in front of those people, and they would be witnesses. In order for there not to be any confusion, you would say the, the deal three times. See, I buy it, I buy the property, pay this much, and you say it three times. They would say it three times. You shake hands, sign a covenant. They would seal it together. And so, so that word in English actually is I will not, I will not, I will not. Which, and the reason it's there three times is because God said, I'm going to make a covenant, a legally binding deal deal with you. 
And that's what the scripture is. You ready to read it out loud? You ready? Are you ready? Yes, we are, Paul. Okay, you ready, Dusty? All right, here we go. Go. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not, in any degree, leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Come on, everybody clap on that one. That's an honest, that's just the most awesome promise from God, particularly in the midst of what we've been living through for the last year and a half, right? Because it seems like the 24-hour news cycle is just filled with fear and unbelief and doubt is all around us and people concerned about this and that. And, and then they say, it's, here's what science says. And then science changes, you know. And I understand all that. The fact is, is that this is what God said about you and your life and who you are. He will not let you go. You're not alone. When you think nothing's happening, what? Something's happening. When you think nothing's happening, come on, something's happening. Mark chapter 5. This is a picture of a guy who thinks nothing's happening. Nothing's going well in his life. By the way, we brought some of our materials. Uh, we try to help men become real men. And we do that through local pastors and churches. We train pastors how to mentor men and help them change their lives. When men change, everything changes, as I mentioned before. So I brought some of those materials. They're normally $15. We have them out there for $10 each. Now, remember, we write these for men, but they're for everybody. Uh, this book's called Courage. It's about courage. <laughs> Try to not confuse guys. And uh, this book, winners are not those who never quit, they're those, but they are those. Winners are not those who never fail. They are those who never quit. And the book's called Never Quit. And then this one, this one is a little bit, got a little bit of a different slant on it. This is about the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a, a man, to bar, the Bible says he was a bartender. Well, the Bible says he was a cupbearer for the king, which I figure makes him a bartender, Lane. And, uh, and so he was a bartender and a slave 1,700 miles from Jerusalem, the city that was destroyed that was part of his identity. And for 100 years, the best people couldn't rebuild it. And a slave and a bartender, 1,700 miles away, rebuilt that city in 56 days. How did he do that? That's what this is about. And how he did it was his identity changed. Everybody say identity. Identity is the story you tell yourself about yourself. Identity is the rehearsal we have in our mind about us. I'm talking maybe, I don't know, 150 words a minute. You can read 200 words a minute. But self-talk is screaming along four to 500 words a minute. Even while I'm talking to you, you've got other stuff happening. Right? I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't calling you out. I'm just saying this is what happens to all of us. And, and those words sometimes that are rehearsed from our childhood or bad experiences or things that have happened to us begin to define us. But your definition, according to the Word of God, is who Jesus says you are. Who God says you are. And sometimes what happens for us as men and women is we begin to tell ourselves a story about us that somebody else wrote the lyrics to. But our story, our identity is based, Colossians 1 says, based on who Jesus Christ is. He's my identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you're no longer the same person. It says, 
Old things have passed away and new things have become. And, and it says you've become a new person. So when you become a follower of Christ, he no longer defines you. You are not defined based on your past, the things that happened to you, things you did, the experiences you went through. I am not defined even today by the things I struggle with. I'm defined by the fact I'm a passionate pursuer of the presence of God. That's what defines me. Turn to somebody and just say, this is really good for you today. Just turn to somebody and say, it's really good for you today. So we brought some of those materials in this, this book. I, uh, I love that. My wife's husband wrote this book, by the way. So it's, it's good. Okay. But, no, sorry. Some of you are like, what? What did he say? Who's he talking about? Who's his wife married to? Okay, Mark chapter 5. I love this uh, picture because this is a guy who's got a bad self-identity. He's totally messed up. He has no self-esteem. He's just jacked up. Nothing's gone right. Everybody tells him he's a loser. Everybody, in fact, the whole village tells him, you're such a loser, you can't come in here anymore. They put him outside the village. He's a man in the margins. This is a picture of you and me. This is a picture of you and me outside of Christ. All right, this is really cool. I love this. Demons, uh, this guy's like, he's like, well, yeah, it's reason, part of the reason they put him out is because he's demon-possessed. So that would kind of get you uh, put out of the house, wouldn't it? Okay, here we go. You guys ready? Good. Thank you. Come on. Uh, chapter 5 of St. Mark, and this is Jesus. Chapter 4, he's preaching in front of a bunch of people. And then he hears, like the father says, I got a guy in trouble. You need to go there. Jesus only did what the father told him to do. So we know who God is by looking at the life of Jesus. Because Jesus only did what God the father told him to do. So if we want to know what's God like, we look at Jesus. Right? Because every, re every response of Jesus is the response of the heart of God. He's in front of thousands of people. In chapter 4, and he gets in a boat, goes across a lake, goes through a storm, and then he lands at a place called Gerasenes, Gadarenes in some of your translations. Verse 2, chapter 5, St. Mark, as soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit, demoniac, came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains. These guys, people put chains on this dude, and he broke the chains. That's jacked up. Can I get an Amen. That's a messed up guy. Because he often had been bound with shackles, chains, snapped them off, broke them. No one was strong enough to subdue him, so they just told him, get out. Always night and day, he was crying out among the tombs in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. So he's self-harming because he doesn't have any self-esteem, doesn't know who he is, what his purpose is. And he's just, all he can do is just grunt and just go, there must be something better. He's crying out, he's self-harming. Verse 4, is that right? Verse 6, chapter 5. And when he saw Jesus, so Jesus lands right where this guy is. Jesus saw him. The guy runs and kneels down. He cries out with a loud voice, why are you here? What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, therefore, God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So when Jesus landed, the first thing he did is he looks at this guy and goes, unclean spirit, leave him alone. Come out. 
be healed. First thing he spoke over the man, okay? So then the man says, so Jesus says, what's your name? Red letters. My name is Legion, he answered. The, the man said, because we are many. In other words, he's speaking like a demonic thing, man. It's like a movie, right? So, this, except this really happened. And he kept begging him not to send him out of the region. So, <laughs> this is great. So the demons in the man are begging Jesus, hey, don't send us anywhere. Hang on, just stop. Wait a second. Time out. Verse 11, now there's a herd of pigs there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged them, send us in the pigs so we may enter them. This is hilarious to me. This is like some demons like doing a deal with Jesus. Like they're negotiating. Hey, if you're going to send us out, don't, don't just send us anywhere. How about, where, where do you want to go, Jesus says. How about those pigs? Okay. Sends them in the pigs. And there's a herd, look at this, in your, in your Bible, on your phone, your smartphone, dumb phone, whatever phone you have. Uh, look on there. It says, it says that there's 2,000 pigs. I had a guy one time, Pastor Lane, he literally, this is a true story, I told this story at a meeting, and it seems to me it was in Salt Lake City, Utah. And this guy sat back there in the back and figured out how much bacon... It's a true story. How many pounds of bacon would come out of 2,000 pigs? Afterwards, he goes, dude, you know how much bacon that was? I go, no, I've never figured it up. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> so 2,000 pigs, and it says the pigs, once they were filled with the demons, rushed over a cliff into a sea and drowned. The men who were tending them, what's, what's the name of a guy that takes care of pigs? Is it pig herder? Pig farmer, pig farmer, pig guy, pig guys, two pig guys, and they're taking care of them. The men had taken care of them, ran back to town and reported what just happened. All the people come out to Jesus, and they see this man that they had stuck outside the city, and they see he's in his perfect mind. He's been totally radically healed by, by Christ. This is amazing. The eyewitnesses tell everybody, here's what happened. The guy was demon-possessed. Now he's not. Demons went into pigs. Pigs are dead. Have you ever thought about the pig guy going home, like, from work? Right? Tis like he, he gets home, and it's like his wife goes, hey, how was work? Because in this culture, you couldn't own your own business. It was a Roman Greek area, and Roman culture, Romans owned it. They owned all the businesses. Right? So these guys are working for somebody, probably Roman. This is cool because Jesus, like, like, killed a bunch of Roman pigs. It's kind of cool. Like a Jewish guy killing a bunch of Roman pigs. The other interesting thing in that culture, in that area, they would have used them as sacrifices to the local gods. So he's, like, saying to the local people, hey, you think your gods are awesome? Watch this. I'm going to kill all their pigs. That's Jesus, man. This guy messed with people. He was dangerous. You know why? Because he loved people and he wanted us to be free. So, so I'm thinking of this guy. He gets home and he says, hey. His wife goes, hey, what's, uh, you know, how was your day? He goes, well, it's weird. Like uh, some guy named Jesus killed all our pigs. She's like, well, are you working tomorrow? I guess not. You're like, what are we going to do? I don't know. Probably get another. 
Anyway, isn't that, I mean, this is real life. Stuff really happened. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I just think of this stuff. But when you read the Bible, read it. Real life. This stuff really happened to people. Jesus was really there. He set a man free. And then watch this. One last thing. One last thing. And, he, and he's now, now watch this. The eyewitnesses tell everybody what happened. And they say, hey, please leave. They want Jesus to leave because most often when somebody had that kind of power, they used it to subjugate people. Well, that wasn't Jesus. His power was to set people free. They didn't realize that yet. So Jesus, this is great, verse 18, he gets back in the boat. The man who is demon-possessed says, hey, can I go with you? And Jesus said, no, I want you to go tell everybody what happened to you. He didn't say, listen, I need you to train up for a while. I need you to learn a bunch of hermeneutics, homiletics, all that. I need you to figure out this. He said, listen, just tell somebody what happened to you. Dude, I was messed up. Now I'm not as messed up. Now I'm in process. Can anybody, anybody identify with that one? Now I'm in process. This man, Jesus said, go back and tell everybody. Verse 20. So I want to finish here. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Where did he go? To the Decapolis. When you think nothing's happening, something's happening. Check this out. Just a couple takeaways from this. Here's a man who feels like nothing good is ever going to happen to me. Nothing has ever gone right. Nobody cares about me. My life is a mess. I have no purpose. Nothing good will ever happen. And what happened to him? Jesus showed up. And where did Jesus land? Right where the man was. He didn't land, right? Where was the man? Outside the, outside the village. Out near the cemetery, right? He was that guy that when mom said, hey, don't walk near the cemetery, there's a, that, that, she was right. Because there was a guy, right? So he didn't land, Jesus didn't land at the dock. He didn't land at the local marina. He didn't land at a place where all the people were at the market. He landed where? Where the man was. Jesus knows, write this down, think about it, do something, write it down. Tell somebody next to you, write this down for me. Jesus, God knows where you are. He knows where you are in your life. He knows what's happening in your life. And Jesus showed up in the middle of the man's life right where he was. Watch this. And that man who everybody else said was a loser, who we would look at and go, dude, do not hire that man as the youth pastor. Right? Come on, somebody, help me out. We would look at that guy and say, no, 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 he's not working at the post office. Don't want that guy. Don't want that guy working for me. Don't want that guy. I do not want that man as a server when I go to lunch. Right? That, it's that guy. And yet, Jesus left thousands of people in chapter 4. Got in a boat, went through a storm, across a lake, landed for that guy. Because God loves every single person. And not one person is beyond the reach of grace. Tizzy, come on up and play a little keyboard thing behind me. Can you do that? Can you do that? Like, awesome. Makes everybody feel like I'm Indian, even though I'm not. That was a joke. It was a joke. It was funny in my head before I said it. 
So watch this. So, so, your, so this man's life had value. Every life has value. I mean, I don't care if, you're, if you think your neighbor is like the spawn of Satan. Okay? I don't care if you think, or your brother-in-law, or whoever it may be. Listen, every single life, not one man is beyond the reach of grace. God loves every single person. The heart of God is to take his son, send him across a lake, reach a man. Not only is he that valuable, but Jesus killed 2,000 pigs for this guy's life. Anybody figured up how, many bacon, how much bacon that is yet? It's, it's, a great, it's a great picture. God loves all of us. When this man thought nothing was happening, something was happening. When this man thought nobody cares about me, Jesus was getting in a boat. When this man thought nothing good will ever happen, Jesus is coming across the lake. When this man thought my life will never amount to anything, I don't measure up, Jesus is landing right where the man is. And here's the next thing, the power of God. There isn't anything in our lives beyond the power of his anointing to be able to set us free. Addictions can set us free. Issues, personal, relational, family, job, your work, your assignment. God cares about all of it. And the life of Christ in us, the Bible says in Romans, it says that Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Ephesians chapter 1 says, says everything that he gave Jesus, he gives to you and me. Same power, same anointing. He lavished on us his love. It's an amazing story. Everybody stand up with me right now. He knows right where you are. He knows what's going on with your life. He knows what's happening. Your life has value. He, God loves you with a passion. When you think nothing's happening, something's happening. Right? Hebrews 13.5, we read that. I will not, I will not, I will not ever let you go. He didn't just write that for the good people. He wrote that for all of us. He didn't write that for the guys who seemingly have their act together, even though we know even that guy doesn't have his act together. Jesus said to him, just go tell people what happened to you. I love that picture. God said, I will not, I will not, I will not ever let you go. Watch this. When you think nothing's happening, something's happening. Where did the man go? Where did this guy go? It says there in that last verse that I read, verse 20, chapter 5, St. Mark, it says, the man went to the Decapolis. Well, the Decapolis is a region that was settled by the Greeks. The Romans took it over, but it, at the very top was a city called Damascus. It's still there today. There were ten cities, which is what Decapolis means, ten cities down to a city called Philadelphia. And it says, this man went to the Decapolis and began to share Christ. We know through the writings in the book of Acts and through uh, oral history and the writings of Josephus that some of the disciples went there also. But this man went there. Jesus said, go, tell him what happened. So he went to the Decapolis. Watch this. 
Let's say this happened. Let's say, let's, okay, just so that I don't have to deal with higher math. Let's say this happened in 30 A.D. Simple. 30 A.D. In roughly 70 A.D., Jerusalem was destroyed. Okay. So that's 40 years later, Jerusalem's destroyed, right? 40 years later, Jerusalem's destroyed, and the people, what they call the people of the way, or the people of the Nazarene, uh, the Christians, had to run for their lives. There was persecution, things happening, but then when Jerusalem's destroyed, they had to run for their lives. Well, you can't go west because that's the ocean. So Josephus, writing in 100 A.D., said the people of Christ, the people of the way, as they called them, in order to save their lives, headed east, and he says this, he says this, this is awesome. He says they found refuge, they found churches, they found help, they found jobs, they found new lives in a place of the world called the Decapolis. And 40 years, watch this, 40 years before his people needed it, Jesus put into motion through a man that everybody else said was a loser, the strategy that 40 years later would have churches in all those cities for his people to find refuge. Is that awesome? Tell you, when you think nothing's happening, something's happening. God loves you with a passion. And today, right here in this place, before we ever even knew that we needed a Savior, God was already sending His Son. God sent His Son that our lives would be changed, that we would no longer be identified by our past, but identified by His presence in us. I'm a new creation because of Christ. Is that awesome? Come on, somebody. I'm fired up about this thing because I no longer have to live a life based on stuff that happened to me or where I tipped over. I can live today. And even then, we still mess up. And God says, through my son Jesus, I still forgive you. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Everybody say all. What does all mean? The original Greek, the word all means all, yes. You see, I speak to a lot of men's groups. Let's try to keep it simple. Through the, between the navigational buoys. Let's pray over this right now. And Pastor Lane's going to come and finish the prayer. Pastor Lane's going to come in a second and pray a prayer of commitment to Christ. So I want to pray a blessing over you. Father, where there's ever been for any of us here right now a sense that we don't measure up or a sense that nobody knows about us or we're covered up or stuck in a corner or any of those feelings the enemy tries to put on us, I pray, Father, this story would come alive in us right now because you sent your son to a man who everybody said would never measure up, and yet he became the change agent for the future for hundreds of people. So, Father, you've placed my sister and my brother right now on the face of the earth in order to bring Christ and love and peace and hope to hundreds of people in the sphere of their life. So I pray blessing on them and strength. And I, and I pray a motivation that comes from the inside to be a difference maker on the world today. Father, I thank you for this house. I pray blessing on Pastor Lane and Becca. I pray blessing on Pastor Walt, Joanne, Pastor Abraham. 
Father, I pray blessing on everyone I've met today in this place. What an exciting place, Lord, that you're raising up in the city of Arlington, city of the Cowboys and the Rangers and the champions and overcomers and victorious ones. Lord, I thank you for this place and the excitement that we can sense about the future that you're doing here. Lord, as Pastor Lane comes and leads us in this prayer of commitment, I pray right now as we pray this prayer with him, something begins to shift in us in our view of who we are and who you are in our lives.